I would hope the answer to this question is yes, but has anyone seen the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Old school version, right? We're not talking about the new one with Johnny Depp where it's all weird and crazy, but we're talking about the old one, right? So the climax of the movie is there's one thing, right? The everlasting gobstopper. Right? There's this climax towards the end of the movie where Charlie has the everlasting gobstopper, right? And he's being dismissed from the factory, right? He's being told to get out because him and his grandpa went ahead and drank some of the floating fluid and stuff like that. But he, he has the everlasting gobstopper in his pocket because they all received one when we, they went through that part of the factory. But Charlie makes a decision to do something with his. He decides to give it back, right? You remember that scene he, where Willy Wonka's all upset and he's just kind of huddled around his desk with his head down, all frustrated. But then Charlie places the everlasting gobstopper on the desk and the whole attitude of Willy Wonka changes, right? Because now Charlie has finally won. And what Charlie finds out is as he is traded in his everlasting gobstopper, he now gets to receive something much greater. The entire factory is his. Willy Wonka was looking for somebody to give all of it to. And it was in the act of trading that in, a willingness to not settle for this little thing in order to then trade it in for something much greater. Charlie didn't know what was coming, though. Right? He didn't know what the offer was going to be. Our passage today is similar in that Jesus is asking the people, the crowd before him, to trade in what their food is. But Jesus goes a step further than Willy Wonka in that Jesus tells us what food we get in return. He describes it. He lays it all out there for us. And we see how the crowd is going to respond to it as Jesus describes it to them, but we'll get into that. If you remember, this is the same crowd. We're in John chapter 6. This is the same crowd that Jesus fed the 5,000, right? Jesus spent all day healing these people, and then finally it comes to the end of the day. They're hungry. They're trying, the disciples are trying to figure out what to do, and Jesus feeds all of them with just a few fish and a few loaves, right? Now, they misunderstand this miracle. They want to crown Jesus as their king, right? If this guy can provide food for us, then certainly we want him as our ruler. But Jesus dismisses the crowds. He sends his disciples away on the boat, and he goes up the mountain to pray. We find out during that night, right, as the disciples are crossing over, the wind and the waves start up, and that's where Jesus comes walking on the water to them. We see the disciples, even though they didn't understand the feeding of the 5,000 miracle, this miracle finally stirs an element of true faith in them. Where they respond from fear, it turns into joy of welcoming Jesus into the boat. But what we find out today is those who Jesus fed, the 5,000, the whole crowd, now wonders what happened to Jesus. And they come seeking after Jesus, trying to find him. And that's where we come to John chapter 6, starting in verse 22. Let's read it together. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. 
and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So we begin this passage where we find out that this crowd is wondering what happened to Jesus, right? They're they're confused here. There was only one boat. His disciples got in it. Jesus didn't get in the boat yet. Now Jesus is gone. They have other boats come to them. We don't know what these other boats are necessarily sharing with them. We don't know if they're sharing information uh, of we saw the disciples somewhere else or if if this is their families coming to them saying, okay, your time is up. Let's get back in the boats. But whatever it is, we find that they end up seeking after Jesus, right? They, they go to Capernaum looking, seeking, trying to find this Jesus that just fed him. But what we find out is when they come to Jesus, they ask, how did you get here? Or when did you get here? And Jesus completely ignores the question, probably because if he, even if he had told them, it wouldn't have mattered Right, And instead, he starts to drive at the heart of the very problem they have. Right, And so I want to take the first part of our time together and discuss these, this people's problem, this crowd's problem, what I call the problem of perishables. Right, So let's discuss why this is a problem that they are seeking after a food that perishes. What's the problem of seeking after a food that perishes? Well, number one, it perishes. Right? That may seem simplistic at first, right? It may seem obvious, but we have to realize that this is a huge flaw to base your entire life on, right? This is what these people are doing. They're spending days searching after Jesus, but they're doing it only in searching after something that perishes. These people came to Jesus again the next day because they're hungry again. Or because they're no, they know they're going to get hungry again. And this Jesus gave them food to eat the day before, so maybe he'll do it again tomorrow. Their decision to find Jesus was completely based upon 
seeking something that ultimately perishes. And we have the same problem in our own lives. When we focus in our lives and pursue only that which is temporary in life, we end up fighting ourselves with a variety of problems. And we're going to look at kind of some of these fleshed out for this crowd. What does life look like when you're chasing the perishables? Well, number one, we find out that this people is consumed by the earthly. Verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, did they see a sign? Certainly they did. They saw the feeding of the 5,000. But Jesus is saying, you don't understand the sign. The sign's meant to point to something else. So you don't see the sign for it it as it truly is. You're only focused on the earthly manifestation of that sign, right? You didn't see the spiritual aspect of it. You're consumed by the earthly. What are they consumed with? Their stomachs. That's all they're consumed with. Oh, well, maybe we can get some more food. Their entire lives are simply overflowing with how can I get my next temporary earthly need met? That's all they're seeking after. And can we ever find ourselves in the same position where it seems like our entire lives is summed up with just paying the next bill, going to the next tournament, facing the next workday, making sure our kids have the next meal? And what do we end up with? It's the same thing these people had, right? If that's the life we're pursuing, we end up consumed by the earthly and no time for the spiritual. No commitment whatsoever because... Quite frankly, according to this mindset, right, the earthly is just too important. So that's the first problem. They're consumed by the earthly. The second problem is they become self-centered. Right? If you notice, again, there in verse 26, he says, you ate your fill of the loaves. These people aren't coming to Jesus saying, can you tell us more about who you are? They're not saying, can you make sure these other people get fed? They're saying, I want what I feel like I need in my earthly mentality, right? When you focus only on your material needs, only on the material world, it tends to make you inward focused. And I don't mean searching your soul. I mean you're only focused on your needs being met. It makes you self-centered, Right? I mean, this is the same in our lives. When we tend to think only in the material realm, we only think about the material needs, the earthly needs getting met, we tend to ask questions that revolve around that for our own sakes. Right? We ask, is it going to pay me any money? Does it offer me any chance to move up in the world? Does it fit the needs that I think I need met? It makes us self-centered. The next problem is that it ultimately ends up being a labor or a work that doesn't last. Verse 27 28. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the God the Father has set a seal. Verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? They put forth all this effort to come to Jesus, all of these days traveling to come to Jesus, but they're only doing it for the same food they'll want again tomorrow. They were fed last night, but they're hungry again today. There's no lasting effect. 
to the perishables that they're chasing after. And ultimately, it leads them to the question, did you hear what just happened? Jesus said, don't work for the food that perishes, but there's a food that endures to eternal life. And they say, what, what works should we do? They totally ignore the food. And they're only focused on what do we do? What can we actually manifest in this earthly world, right? They're so focused on the work, and they're doing it towards a goal that is constantly unfulfilled. Right? We can spend our entire lives in this world working hard, but having no lasting effect. Right? Now, some people might come with the argument of, well, if I save up a bunch of wealth, right, that might last for generations to come, right? So it does have a lasting effect. I'm talking about something that does have an ultimate end, right? Something that, whether it's in your lifetime or a hundred lifetimes, all of it comes to an ultimate end, right? Your money comes to an end. All of this college education will come to an end. All of the competitions at your jobs will come to an end, One day it all ends, regardless of whether it's your lifetime or the next. It's all over with at some point. It's all going to perish one day. But one day it all ends. And so ultimately to work only for that means you're laboring for that which doesn't last. And we can tend to get so focused on the work that we totally forget the food. Next, we see their problem is that these people are never satisfied. They're so focused on the perishables, they are never satisfied. Verse 29, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus says, Not work, but faith. Verse 30, So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus says, your work is to have faith, to believe in the Son. But notice their request then. What is their request? They said, well, you've got to prove to us somehow. We're not satisfied that the food you're offering is really good enough, so you have to prove to us somehow that the food you're talking about is really worthwhile. We're not satisfied with the response that you're giving us. So then they refer back to Moses and manna, right? In Moses, God gave us a sign. He gave us food to eat. What did Jesus just do the night before? He gave them food to eat. And they're totally neglecting that, that Jesus performed an even better miracle than Moses. Remember when we talked about it? What was even better about it? Jesus had leftovers. Moses and the people were only allowed to eat enough for that day, otherwise it's spoiled. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you enough for today, and there's an abundance for the next day and the next day. Jesus is always providing And they say, well, Moses gave us a sign. When are you going to give us one? What was last night to you, right? It wasn't enough. They're never satisfied. You see, because they're focused on the perishables. And the perishables perish. Which means you're never quite full enough. You're always asking for more. It's the same in our lives, right? If we're chasing only that which perishes in life, we always want more of it. 
if it has an ultimate end, like money or education or whatever, if it has an ultimate end, like all earthly things do, we want more. So they're never satisfied. And then we come to their last problem, is that they have an inability to understand the spiritual aspect of life. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Now this sounds like a good response, doesn't it? We think they're maybe on the right track finally, but they're not. They're still missing it. All they heard here was, there's a better bread than what you had last night. And they're like, well, give it to us. Give it to us. Whatever it is, whatever's going to make our our stomachs feel full for a longer period of time, we want that. But they never grasp the significance of Jesus' words, that Jesus is talking about a spiritual bread, a spiritual food. And we know that they don't understand it here because by the time we get towards the end of John chapter 6, right, we'll get there in the coming weeks, but by the time we get to the end, Jesus explains what it means to have this spiritual food and what happens to this entire crowd. They walk away. They say, I don't want that. And they walk away. So they certainly aren't understanding it when they say, give us this bread Always. And it's the same for us. As long as you remain committed to the perishables of life, you will neglect the spiritual in life. You will always prioritize the earthly over the eternal. Because up until that day of the spark of your faith actually begins, you believe that the spiritual wasn't worth it. You really didn't think the spiritual food was worth chasing after up until that faith begins in your heart and soul. Chasing after the perishables ultimately leaves you empty inside and creates a person that nobody likes. Think of this as an example, right? So we've had to deal with Valentine's Day and Easter in recent months with our kids. And what did kids always get on those days? Candy, right? They love their candy. So, if you let your child have as much candy as they want, what happens? They end up, well, eventually they throw up, right? But that whole process of chasing after it is what? I want more. I want more. I want more. Why? Because the candy doesn't satisfy anything, it doesn't last. It hits the stomach and perishes, basically, right? So it it leaves them empty, but what else does it do? It makes them nuts, right? It makes them absolutely crazy, right? Like, we set a limit in our own home, right, of, of like, one a day of these, like, little mini Snickers, and, like, it's amazing what that does, right? Like, they get one a day and they go nuts, right? Right? It's the same thing in our lives. When we're chasing after only the earthly, only the temporary, that which ultimately has an end to it, we end up finding ourselves empty and wanting more, and it turns us into somebody nobody likes. It makes us crazy. It makes us so focused on ourselves. It makes us so focused on on getting the next paycheck or getting the next promotion or getting a bigger house or whatever it is. 
it ends up making us someone that nobody likes. So this morning, as I lay all of these out, these descriptions of the problem of perishables, all of us can identify one way or another with these, probably. We should be able to. Right? Now, some people in here or maybe listening online, that you may hear these and you say, that's my whole life. It feels like my whole life revolves around only the earthly and only the perishables, and I've never even thought about the spiritual aspect. Well, I have news coming for you of what that spiritual food is, so pay attention. But maybe, maybe you do believe that the spiritual food is more valuable, and, and at one point in your life you've trusted in Christ, but you're still hearing some of these and you're like, man, I still find myself being self-centered, or man, I still find myself worrying about earthly things more than eternal things. So may this be a reminder for us, right, that we all struggle with this in one way or another. But as we continue on, may it be a reminder for us to not chase after the perishables. May it stir our hearts to remember that there is a better food that we get to partake in. And that leads us to our next point, which is food for the soul. Now, I'm not talking about what you get in the southern United States here, right? Although there is some sort of link between why it's described as soul food, but we're not going to get into that. Jesus tells the crowd that there is a better food, specifically a spiritual food. And he describes this food as being much more valuable than their perishables. Really, isn't that the whole point of the miracle of feeding the 5,000 Jesus wanted them to see the abundance of the bread and the fish, and Jesus wanted them to lift their eyes up from that and say, there's a better bread than this bread. Not that there's more of the perishable bread to come, but there's a better bread, a different kind of bread, a spiritual type of bread to be found in Jesus. Jesus is making a point here that the satisfaction of people's souls is better than the satisfaction of their bellies. And the same is true for us. We have to come this morning and understand as we get to the food for the soul that Jesus is saying our souls being satisfied is better than having a satisfaction with our bank account or a satisfaction with our trophy case at home. So here we settle in to see how Jesus describes this food for the soul. First, we find that it's food that endures. Verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. We see the contrast here, right? He's contrasting it with perishing food. Jesus says this food doesn't need a constant replenishing It doesn't need to be filled up again and again and again. In fact, Jesus says what? This food not only endures longer than the perishables, it endures into eternity. Endures into eternal life. Can you imagine such a claim? A food that goes on forever. Right? One thing we see in our society is there's all sorts of claims, specifically in the medicinal world, right, of how long this medicine's going to work, right? It used to, at least when I was growing up, I, as far as I can remember, right, it was, 
You take this every four hours. You take this every six hours, right? Now you're getting, this offers 48 hours of relief, right? There's this, there's this desire for this extension of, of this is going to satisfy your need for a longer period of time. But Jesus says, forget 48 hours. I have a food that will fill you up and endure for all eternity. All eternity. Isn't this a much better food to pursue after? That it doesn't last for just a day or two, but we can talk about millennia later, and it's still good. It's still satisfying. So it's a food that endures. We also see in that same verse that it is a food that has been authorized by God himself. Look at the second part of verse 27. Which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him, on the Son of Man, God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus is saying the food that endures to eternal life is given by the Son of Man... Right, which is a term Jesus uses to refer to himself. Right now, it's kind of weird here. We think, well, Jesus—the whole point of the Gospel of John, right—that you would believe Jesus is the Son of God. So why would Jesus use Son of Man here? We've talked before in the Gospel of John how Son of Man refers back to Daniel, but really, other than that Daniel passage, there's not a whole lot in the Old Testament referring to Son of Man as a Messiah-type figure. So really. A lot of people believe that Jesus uses the term Son of Man because it didn't have a whole lot of connotations with it. It's kind of this ambiguous term, so Jesus sort of fits different things in it. But one thing we specifically see is he, as he doesn't choose Son of God, but he chooses Son of Man, is he's, he's distinguishing himself between him, Son and Father here, right? Where Jesus refers to himself as Son of God when he's making himself one with the Father. He says Son of Man when he's distinguishing himself here. Here he's saying, I am the human representative of God to the people. So I'm the Son of Man. But we find out God is also involved because what has God done to the Son of Man? What has God done to Jesus? He has set his seal upon him. Probably a reference to Jesus' baptism, right? He gets baptized and the voice of the Father says, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. There's this stamp of approval by God on the Son of Man. So that means whatever the Son of Man is offering has been approved by God. Right? Don't need FDA approval. We need God's approval, right? God's authorization here. And Jesus is saying the food he is offering is authorized by God. This should really be a major piece in our lives. I want you to think about for a moment all of the things in our world that we're told to chase after that perish. Who has authorized you to chase after those things? Who told you those are the things worth chasing after? Society? The culture around you? Your friends? The government? Or probably the greatest authority in your life? Yourself. And here we have Jesus say, no, 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 no. This food that I'm offering is authorized, stamped with the approval of God himself. The creator of everything, the creator of us, says, I have a food that will satisfy you for eternity. Are we going to listen to that? Are we going to listen to God's stamp of approval? Who knows better what would satisfy us but the one who made us? 
Who knows better what's going to make our souls filled for all eternity but the one who created our very souls? And God says, here's your food, soul. I know exactly what you need. I know exactly what's going to satisfy you, exactly what's going to fill you, and I'm giving it to you in Jesus. So it's a food that's authorized by God. Jump down to verse 33. We find out it's a food that gives life. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So if the people in the world that receive this spiritual food, as they receive it, they receive life, what does that mean before they received the food? That they were dead. If this food gives them life, this spiritual food gives them life, that means, spiritually speaking, they were dead before they received this food. So there's a connection here between a life of chasing after the perishables is equated to a life of being dead. But this spiritual food awakens these people, brings them to life. And it does the same for us, right? It gives us true life. It gives us life as life was intended to be lived, right? If you look all the way back at Genesis, how was life originally intended to be lived? It was intended for mankind to walk with God, to live in relationship with God. And as sin enters the world, right, we find out that with sin entering the world, what also enters the world? Death, right? So spiritually speaking, everybody after the point of sin enters the world in a dead state, right? Because we're all born with sin within us in our sinful hearts. We're all born in a dead state. And it's only when we receive this spiritual food in Jesus that we find ourselves alive. And in finding ourselves alive, we find ourselves able to live life the way God intended for us to live as human beings, which is in relationship to God. That's exactly what Jesus offers. And then we get to the climax of it all, right? Verse 35, we find out Jesus is the food. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Jesus now makes a clear distinction, right? He's saying, the bread that I'm offering you, the bread that endures to eternal life, is not some physical, perishable item that I'm going to continue to give you. The bread that I give you is myself. It's not about the healings that I'm going to do, the miracles that are going on of food or water, whatever it is. It's not about those perishable things. It's about Him. Right? In fact, the healings, the miracles are all just illustrations of a salvation being offered by Jesus. A spiritual salvation. There are no other means to get this spiritual food but in Jesus Christ himself. So we have a culture that bombards us with all sorts of ways to find food that satisfies. Now, you talk about other religions, right? There's meditation, or there's this whole concept of being coming one with the creation, or there's this whole idea of just being a good moral person, and there's all sorts of things. But Jesus says, none of that, none of that is the real food. You're not going to be fully satisfied. You're going to be empty by your meditation. You're going to become, by becoming one with creation, you're going to find yourself not satisfied 
And simply trying to be a good moral person isn't enough. But instead, Jesus says, I have a food for you. A food that is life-giving. A food that goes on into eternity. And a food that's been stamped by the approval of God himself. And that food is me. Jesus is the food. And we see this come to full culmination at the cross. Where Jesus here is offering himself to people, but there we see Jesus fully offer himself for the sake of people. It's there at the cross that we see Jesus take on sin. Which if we want to take this passage and define sin, sin is chasing after the perishables. These people are sinning, right, by chasing after the perishables. It's, it's showing their unbelief by chasing after the perishables. And so Jesus says, I'm going to die so you can be forgiven for chasing after the perishables. I'm going to take on the eternity that you deserve for chasing after the perishables. As Jesus hangs on the cross and he takes on hell on our behalf, takes on the absence of God the Father, as God the Father turns his face away from his own son and pours out his wrath on his own son. But he does so so that we are forgiven, but also so that we can share now in the eternity that belongs to Jesus. We now get to have Jesus' eternity rather than our sinful eternity. And Jesus' eternity, we know, is eternity with God. So here we find Jesus is the food, but then he gives one more description at the end of that verse that this food, Jesus himself, is the food that completely satisfies. Verse 35 again, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In connection to Jesus identifying himself as the bread, he now promises full satisfaction. Right? These people are told they will never be hungry or thirsty again, spiritually speaking. How often can we get so bound up in the anxieties of the earthly? In making payments, in traveling to this or that place, in, in extracurricular activities. And I'm not saying that any of those things are bad in and of themselves. But they're terrible if you're trying to satisfy yourself with them. You'll never be satisfied with getting a certain vehicle or house paid off. You're never going to be fully satisfied by trying to travel to all the places. You're never going to be satisfied by however many activities you're involved in. But Jesus makes a promise here. And I want you to imagine this promise for a second. Jesus says, imagine a life where your soul never needs to search again for satisfaction. Every morning when you wake up, you know where to find satisfaction. You know that you don't have to hunger for something else anymore. You don't have to thirst for something else anymore. Your satisfaction is complete. It's full. Every day. For all eternity. Found in Jesus. So this bread of life, which is Jesus, is a bread that forever satisfies. And I want to stop here for our last moment and ask the question, what does that life look like? What does that life look like for a life that is satisfied in Jesus? 
right? And so what we're going to do is see a satisfied life. And what we're really going to look at is what we saw from the problem of chasing perishables flipped. We're going to kind of flip some of those and see what life really looks like for someone who is satisfied in Jesus as the bread of life. Number one, a satisfied life is a person who values the spiritual. Verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. You don't pursue food that endures unless you're convinced that that food is more valuable than the other food. Right? We, we are living lives of determining value every day when we wake up. We're determining, is this food valuable enough to chase after, or am I going to determine that the perishables have more value to me today? Let me give you an example of this. There is something I don't think is valuable to teach my children, so I'm not going to teach it to them. I don't think it's valuable to teach my kids, when they get old enough, how to drive 100 miles an hour. I don't think it's valuable, because they should never be doing it. Right? And it's not a valuable skill to have, unless one of them ends up a NASCAR driver. Right? So why would I take the time out of my life, commit any time of my life, to teach them something that I think has no value for them? But you know something I am going to make sure my kids know how to do at a very young age? Swim. Right? <laughs> because it's valuable. Whether my kids are going to be professional swimmers or not, if they're ever around water, they need to know. It's a valuable skill to have. So I'm going to take the time and make sure they have that valuable skill. You don't choose the food that endures unless you think that spiritual food is actually more valuable food. A soul-satisfied person has been convinced, believes with their whole mind and their whole heart that the soul satisfaction is better than any perishable satisfaction. And this really drives the rest of that person's life. Right? You then focus your entire life around this spiritual way of life. The way that you interact with your spouse becomes more spiritually acclimated. The way you interact with your kids becomes more spiritually acclimated. You, you find yourself more committed to other spiritual people at the church. You find yourself thinking more spiritually about your coworkers of where you work and thinking about their eternity more than you're thinking about their daily needs being met. Although that's not, like I said, the earthly thing isn't insignificant. It's just not as valuable. So first, a satisfied life values the spiritual. That's the first thing, because then, once you value the spiritual, you can go to number two, which is you find yourself spiritually satisfied by Jesus. A truly satisfied satisfied person sees faith in Jesus as the ultimate satisfaction. Look at verse 29. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus says, you want to talk about the work you need to do? Your work is faith. Your work is to believe that Jesus is the ultimate satisfier. That he is the food that endures to eternal life. That if you're valuing the spiritual, that you are completely committing yourself to Jesus and him alone. And then we go to verse 35, right? I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Right? There's a satisfaction factor there. 
a life that feels complete satisfaction. And it's from that satisfaction that then we do the work of a Christian life. Right? We don't evangelize people around us in our community who don't know Jesus because we think we're going to feel satisfied by sharing the gospel with them. If you're doing it that way, you're doing it wrong. You're sharing the gospel with them because you already are satisfied and you want them to understand how they can have that. You're not doing it so you'll feel better about yourself. You're doing it because you already feel satisfied because your faith already rests in the one who can satisfy. So a satisfied life values the spiritual, spiritually then is satisfied by Jesus, and then last, a satisfied life pursues the eternal. Verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And then if you go to verse 35, right, you catch this. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, present, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst, future. There's a present and a future aspect of it here, right? So someone who is satisfied by Jesus pursues the eternal. When Jesus is the satisfier of your soul, you then pursue your entire life in a way that revolves around souls. You make decisions, first of all, of what has eternal consequences for your own soul. You care for your own soul, right? This isn't becoming self-centered, inward focus. This is understanding that as of eternal consequence, our souls must be taken care of. So you find yourself reading scripture and praying because it feeds your soul. You You find yourself distancing yourself from attaching yourself to the perishables because those are not helpful for your soul. They're not healthy for your soul. But you also not only care for your soul, now you also care for the souls of others. Right? You you now are no longer self-centered, but you tend to be soul-centered, which means you're also others-centered. Right? You care. You actually begin to care whether your co-workers know Jesus. You begin to actually care whether your neighbor knows Jesus. You actually begin to care whether your kids not only know Jesus, but how well they know Jesus. And you also seek to be a part of a church family so that they can speak encouragement to your soul and so that you can serve them and speak encouragement into their soul. So a truly satisfied life begins with knowing that soul satisfaction is better than any other satisfaction. But it's not just enough to know that and say that, but you have to then have your soul, your heart, find satisfaction in Jesus alone as the bread of life. And it's from there that you are stirred to prioritize all the different pieces of your life around that which goes on into eternity and lasts forever. So brothers and sisters, this morning, I'm offering you a trade. But unlike Charlie and Willy Wonka, I'm going to tell you what you get if you turn in your perishables. Right? I'll lay both sides out here for you. 
You give up your chasing of perishables. You give up your desires for that which has an ultimate end. And you take Jesus. And you will find satisfaction for your soul now and satisfaction for your soul for all eternity. But you have to let go of everything that you're searching to find value or your identity in, whether it's money, a promotion, any sorts of achievements, any sorts of approval from other people. You have to let go of all the perishables. But in return, you find yourself saved from your sin, adopted into God's family, freed from the chains that once held you slave, and you find yourself completely satisfied, never, never empty, all found in the bread of life, which is Jesus. So my question for you this morning, will you take the trade? Will you take this trade this morning and give up your perishables for that which completely satisfies? Let's pray.